0: Good morning everyone. It's great to see you just add my welcome. My name is James. I lead the team across all of our sites and venues in New community. So uh, thrilled to see you this morning. We're continuing our series that we kicked off last week side by side. Um, and I uh, just, <laughs> I love it when God speaks and I love it when God sets up what we're going to look at in the preaching of the word through our time of worship. And uh, just, yeah, I really feel well, God has very clearly spoken to us. We believe God's alive and speaks to us today through His Word and, and through the Spirit, through lots of through us, uses us, and, and uh, so encouraging for us today. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be Acts chapter 2 in a moment, a very familiar passage, but just that sense of the invitation that we have, that we've been given, we have been invited by the Lord into the presence of God Oh, it says in in uh, it says in the, John, I didn't, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Says Jesus, and I have appointed you. To bear fruit. I absolutely love that. I've appointed you. I, you didn't choose me. I chose you and you, I have appointed you to bear fruit. Not to produce lots of fruit. Not to, to work really hard and, and scheme your way through things and kind of do this and do that. So A, A plus B equals C. I've got to do this, this, this and this and therefore that will happen. No, he says, I have appointed you to bear fruit. And we bear fruit by just being who we are in Christ and understanding that our identity and the invitation that we've had now, now we have been changed and transformed by the power of God, his death and resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection on that cross. Now, the moment I put my my trust in Jesus... I declare with my mouth and believe in my heart that he is Lord. That moment I am transformed and changed. My very identity has changed. And now Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And that's that's what's so encouraging. When God speaks, we can sometimes have that moment of going, right, what must I do now? God, do this, 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 and this. And there will be some doing. But the doing is, is worked out of who we are. And the fruit comes from abiding in Jesus and being who we are, and we will produce fruit. Apple trees don't work very hard to produce apples. They, by nature of being an apple tree and being healthy, apples come out of it. And if they're not producing fruit, there's something, it's either not an apple tree or it's not a healthy apple tree. But assuming that it is an apple tree and not an orange tree, I don't know, orange trees, I don't know. Assuming it's not some other kind of tree. And assuming it's healthy, it will bear fruit. That's the nature. If you're a Christian here today, if you assuming you are and assuming you're healthy, you're going to bear fruit. And so we can receive these kind of words today and say, yes, God, come and do it, Lord. And it's not then a question, I've got to go and strive really hard and work really hard and make something happen. I've got to draw some plans for the extension on my house. I've got to work. No, it's nice. I abide in the Lord and the fruit will come. Uh, Kind of just the focus of where we are today. We're going to be in Acts two. Is just this sense of what it is to be the people of God. What we give ourselves to on a daily basis. Just a quick question for you. When? When was? You don't need to answer because it could be exposing. But when? When was the last time you did any exercise? And more importantly, did you enjoy it? (laughs) Did you enjoy it? Now the answer to that. I suppose is kind of determined by various factors. The answer to whether you enjoyed doing the exercise that you did do or if you didn't just imagine the last time you did at some point you will have done some even if it was only at school. (laughs) Just for imagine just for a moment just think the answer to how kind of how much we enjoyed it is determined by various factors. Sometimes it's to do with our kind of, uh, well partly it's to do with our personality. Some of us are wired in a certain way, that means we love pain and we love exercise. And some of us are wired that we do everything we can to avoid it we don't like that. Some of us it's dependent, partly dependent on our our history, our family upbringing or our circumstances of what happened at school to us. Some of us loved PE lessons, some of us just forged notes, I found out this week, uh, just to get out of PE lessons. I'm not looking at anybody particularly on the front row. Some of us love it and some of us hate it. Some of us kind of, I guess, mainly the answer to whether we enjoyed it or not is whether we're in the habit of doing it. The more you exercise, the more you do something, the more your body responds well to it and you begin to enjoy it. And you go from that phase of thinking there's nothing worse than doing this to... I can't wait to do this, and when you get out of the habit of it, it's like it's painful, your body goes into kind of like oh, shock a little bit, and it's terrible, and then too much shock after a while kind of leads to no shock, and it leads to, yeah, I can't be bothered, <laughs> and we're back in that whole cycle again. Here's the thing, when it comes to exercise, your motivation to do it is determined on what you want to be in the future. So we all, we all exercise for some reason, either because we've got a race coming up or an event coming up, or there is some recognition that actually probably not as healthy as we could be or should be, or we're desperately counting down the weeks until our summer holiday and thinking, oh my goodness, uh, there's going to be photos and everything. I've got to sort things, a few things out before then, and we've still got enough time right now. Some of us are just kind of motivated by the fact that other people are, and we think, well, I want to be, and, and some of us are not motivated by it at all, and we think, shut up, what are you talking about? Here's the thing. What you think the future holds determines what you do today, not just in exercise, but in anything. Every decision you make today, tomorrow, is determined by where you think you're heading and what you think you're working towards. So it's bank holiday tomorrow, so nobody's going to be working, but on Tuesday, or not many of us will be working, but on Tuesday, the decisions we make when we go to work kind of determine where we think our trajectory of our our career is going. If we think we're kind of on an upward trajectory, we're gonna work really hard and we're gonna try and impress the boss and we're gonna try and do the stuff. If we think I'm just counting the days till I'm out of here, we're not gonna do anything, or the bare minimum anyway. And it's the same in everything in life. What you think the future is of determines what you do today. It's true of exercise, it's true of life, it's definitely true of the Christian life. The habits that we develop today and we practise today will shape who we become in the future. So many of us are worried about what will happen in the future, that we are just obsessed with the future. We forget that the future is shaped by what you do today. The future is not shaped by what you plan to do one day. The future is not, you don't get beach ready by thinking about the summer holiday and thinking, I'm just going to, at some point I'll get there. You get there by what you do today. We have a big dream in this church came out in our, in our time of worship. We have a, a big dream that God's laid on our hearts, a big vision, a huge mission, which is nothing short of the multitudes coming to Christ. That's, really, that sounds ridiculous, I know. Nothing short of seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of lives being transformed for the glory of Jesus. And our dream and our vision is rooted in what we might describe as apostolic foundations. It's rooted in the word of God. The blueprint for what we believe is found here in the pages of scripture. And what we believe God's laid on our heart is rooted in what we might describe as prophetic promises. The specific things that God has spoken over us in this house, in this church. So our apostolic conviction, what we believe the Bible says about vision and mission and what we're giving ourselves to, it's of huge proportions. Absolutely huge. The harvest is plentiful, Matthew 9 says. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end, Isaiah 9 tells us. The commission is to take the gospel to far off islands and distant shores. That's what it talks about in Isaiah 49. We're serious about the nations ultimately of the world and any other vision is too small a thing. If we're not dreaming about too far off shores and nations and unreached people groups, the word of God tells us it's too small a thing. Our commission is to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28. That's ultimately what Jesus said. Go make disciples of all nations. So we've got this apostolic conviction. Then we've got these prophetic promises that we believe God has called us to multiply and grow. We heard it again this morning. Build some extensions. It's time. Believing God for significant growth not so we can boast in and of ourselves, not so we can build some little new community empire thing, but so that the glory of God may be displayed in this part of the world and the nations, and so that the glory of Jesus might be declared, and so his kingdom might extend. We believe God's called us to make up a a church with lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds, made up of lots of smaller communities in lots of different locations, reaching lots of different people and lots of different nations a few years ago we felt god speak to us about raising our expectation when we kind of put this together it was this, uh, really believing god that we were playing our part in reaching the nations by advancing through prayer fueled by worship by identifying more leaders locations cultures and opportunities by starting more communities ministries venues meetings and expecting gospel transformation that's what's that's what we're about reaching the nations, advancing through prayer, fueled by worship, identifying more leaders and opportunities and going for it, starting more things, more communities, more venues, and expecting gospel transformation. And we want to be faithful to both, the apostolic conviction that we have based in the word of God and the prophetic promises that God has spoken over this house. And we believe as we are, God will be truly faithful And we will see something truly remarkable in our day in this generation. And we want to play our part. Of course, it's not just us, there's plenty of other churches as well, but we're not responsible for what they do. We're responsible for what we do. It's not all on new community. We want every church to be pressing into the as far as they can go to the glory of God. It's not going to just be on down at one church, but we're only responsible for what we do. And we want to play our part in seeing the re evangelization of this city, this town, this nation the nations of Europe and beyond. Sounds mad, right? Now what can we do? A few hundred people in this room? But once upon a time, there was a few people less than this sitting in a room who received a similar call. They received a similar prophetic promise. They received a similar apostolic mandate. They received a similar seemingly impossible thing. Go do it, you will be my witnesses, go, make disciples of all nations, and it seemed entirely unlikely that they would be able to change anything, it didn't even look like they'd be able to change themselves, and yet in just one generation, just 30 years, the gospel went around the entire known world and changed it forevermore, that's what we're looking for today, that's what we're believing for again today, and so this morning I just want to look at what can we learn from the early church that would help us fulfill the dream That we have here today. Now we need to be really careful. We're not looking for some secret learnings or some strategy. If we look through the code, or if we just kind of do this and look at the add the Bible verses together and divide it by seven thousand, it works out this, that, and the other. And everyone, no, there's no simple one, two, three, do this, But there is something profoundly powerful and profoundly simple in the example of the early church. We love to complicate, overcomplicate everything. They weren't particularly a complicated bunch of people. They took God at his word, did it, and saw incredible breakthrough. We want to see similar breakthrough. I'm just constantly reminded of something I read from a guy called E.M. Bounds a number of years ago. He just said, man is constantly looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Like that, That's so true. We're just constantly looking for, if we could just do this, just do this, just do this. And some of us would, by default, our personalities, hear some of those words this morning. Okay, I've got this, 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 and this. We're constantly looking for better methods. God just says, I want you, and you will bear much fruit as you abide in me. You give yourself to the things that I say in the manner that I say it in the way that I say it, and stuff is gonna happen. And that's what we see in the early church. They were built on the things that pleased God the most. They didn't do stuff that didn't please God. They gave themselves to it. And none of them are particularly new or fancy ideas or novel ideas. It's just been really important. I just sense this. It's really important that we differentiate between what we want and what God commands. And we give ourselves not to what we want, but to what God commands. And as we do, we see broke, breakthrough. Really simple verse. This is really simple scripture. Some of scripture is really complicated. Acts chapter 2 really isn't. Let's read it. Verse 42, very familiar scripture. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. (laughs) If you've ever read your Bible or you've been around in church, you've heard those verses before. Profoundly simple, yet stunning verses. You can't help but read through the book of Acts and think, wow, there's a community of people I'd like to be part of. The early church were not trying to make plans for how to attract more, attract more people or attempting to kind of conjure up some sort of experience for people in their meetings. They weren't concerned with half the things that we sometimes are concerned with. But there is a key word here in Acts 2, verse 42, devoted, devoted, devoted. This isn't some kind of magic formula, but if we want to experience the same awe that they experienced, and the same breakthrough that they experienced, and the same kingdom advance that they experienced, and the same significant signs and wonders that they experienced, and the same level of community that they experienced, then it's most likely not gonna come without the same level of devotion that they practiced. We want biblical advance and biblical breakthrough. We need biblical devotion. And here's the problem. We live in a significantly impatient culture right now, don't we? Receive a prophetic word. Now, come on. Like, what? Why does it not happen by next week? The world we live in is now, 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 now. Instant. I prayed and, well, come on. That's it, right? Where's the answer? I have read my Bible once and I haven't been magically producing fruit. What's going on? We live in an instant culture. They lived in a farming culture. Any farmer knows you put seed in the ground, it doesn't instantly spring up. It takes an awful long time and seemingly many weeks and months go by when nothing looks like it's happening and then a little shoot and then it gets a bit bigger and then boom, all of a sudden, wow, it's producing fruit. Apple trees don't produce apples overnight. It takes a long time and then when they do, they burst forth into fruit and wow. And the older they get actually and the mature they get, Better fruit comes from, and that's the Christian life. The early church, patiently, patiently, week in, week out, devoted themselves to just a few things, and it changed the world. Changed the world. They gave themselves to. They abandoned themselves to. They unselfishly prioritized this above everything else. And they did it in a response to the gospel. This devotion was a natural reaction to what Jesus has done. This this devotion was not kind of, you must do and you need to do this and now this, 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 and this. It was a natural response. I've been invited into my father's house. There's many rooms. There's a place for me. My identity has been changed and transformed. I'm now a disciple. I'm a family member. I'm a missionary. Everything we looked at last week, not because of me, but because of him, not because I earned it or deserved it, but because he poured out his loving kindness on me. And the natural reaction is now devotion to the things of God. It's a really simple exchange. He's done this and I respond. Nothing more complicated than that. And we see in Acts a community who really believed the gospel. And as a result, they did these things. The first is this. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. To the word. To the word of God. They didn't just read it. They actually did it. See, there's power in the word of God that no other writing has at all. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. And therefore, it's all profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Every word is breathed by God. Therefore, it's useful for every single situation and circumstance in life. If I told you today that the, the application of today... Because as you leave here, everybody's going to be given a little pill. You're not, so don't worry. But everybody's going to be given a little pill, sort of like a limitless. You've seen that film or the Netflix series? All right, a little pill that if you take it every single day, it will transform you from the inside out and it will change you without any negative uh, any negative side effects. Just positively, is going to enable you to be the best you that you can be. A sort of limitless moment. Most of us would say, I'm up for that. Give me that pill. I'll take that. Literally, here we have... Okay, it's not a pill that you can just pop and swallow, but literally here, God has provided a means and a way by which we can be changed and will be changed and will be shaped from the inside out if we take it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We've heard it, but do we believe it? See, what we, there is a ten, tendency in the West to read a verse like that and go, oh, what's the difference between joints and marrow? What's the difference between soul and spirit? That don't make sense. Like which, if you can't describe that exactly, okay. and we fundamentally miss the point. So we'll take a verse like that, and far from going, okay, I need to get this in me because this is going to shape me, we go, what? Joints and marrow. Uh, and until somebody can explain significantly properly for me the difference between soul and spirit, no, nah, I can't take the rest of it seriously. So, whoa! <laughs> it's the living word of God. If we genuinely believed that this was, had the power to change us and shape us from the inside out, what would we do? We'd read it and we'd expect it to change us. Like if we genuinely believed that this had the power to shape us and change us, to knock out all the junk and all the edges off us and, and refine us and turn us into something beautiful, all promises that are contained in these words, oh, we'd give ourselves to it. Jesus says in John 6, 63, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The words I've spoken to you, they, they're recorded in here, the words of God recorded here, their spirit and their life. The, the word of God, Isaiah 55 tells us, is, always accomplishes that which it's set out to achieve. Always. God's revealed himself to us in books and words. Now, some of us don't like that, but that's the reality. What would it mean for us to strip away the distractions and just become a people devoted to scripture? Not just hearers of the word, James 1, but doers. James 1 tells us, for anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently in the mirror and then walks away and forget what he looks like. To be doers, not just hearers of the word. And here's the thing. We don't read because we ought to. We don't read to tick a box. Ah, devotion to the word, that's what gets us where we go. So I'll just read a little bit each day, box ticked. No, no, no. We, we read because contained within the pages of this scripture is life itself. We read the Bible not to inform us on how to live better, but be, to be transformed by the power of God. Literally changes from the inside out. Now, there are lots of good things we can be doing with our time. Lots of things that could command our attention. Lots of things that we ought to give ourselves to. And yet, if you just, the average person reading speed, if you read at 12 minutes a day, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. 12 minutes a day. If that feels a bit ambitious, in just six minutes a day, you could read the entire New Testament in six months. Six minutes a day! Wow! Some of us need to spend a little bit less time cleaning our teeth. And a little bit more time reading. You only need to do it two minutes a day. That's four extra minutes to read in the word of God. Six minutes a day. You read the entire New Testament in six months. Here's the point. It's not about the pace you read or anything like that. It's about making a daily habit of being devoted to the Lord. Of sitting with him. And one of our major challenges is we expect instant results. But the reality is, is that spiritual growth is often not like that. Spiritual growth often feels really slow. Reading the Bible and taking the benefit from it often feels really slow. It feels like, oh, come on. I've been doing this. I'm struggling my way through. I'm in Leviticus still. Just stop reading it and move on to something else. Go back to it later and begin to understand some other things. Boris, the Bible in a year plan. Well, just read the New Testament in six months and then we'll go back to some of those things. Brilliant quote from a guy called J.C. Ryle. Do not think you are getting no good from the Bible merely because you do not see that good day by day. The greatest effects are by no means those which make the most noise and are most easily observed. The greatest effects are often silent, quiet and hard to detect at the time they're being produced. Think of the influence of the moon upon the earth and of the air upon the human lungs. Remember how silently the dew falls and how imperceptibly the grass grows. There may be there, there may be far more doing than you think in your soul by your Bible reading. Wow, I don't see the effect of the moon. I don't truthfully know what it does other than make the tides go in and out. But I understand that if it wasn't doing it, things wouldn't happen. I don't. We plant things in our back garden and hope to goodness the kids don't just dig them up straight away. And we spend ages looking at them over months, and then they don't grow and we realise the kids have dug them up. But that's a different story. The ones that they haven't worked out where they are, they eventually begin to spring some life. And if I go and stand and look at it every day, it doesn't look like it's doing much. But I wait a few weeks and go and look again and it's grown. And a few more weeks and it's grown. And a few more weeks it's grown. Hey, that's like exercise. I do it once, it doesn't look like I've done, I haven't got something got bulging muscles but I do it week in, week out. I still won't, but some of you will. Go running. It doesn't feel like I'm increasing particularly how good I am until after a little while I look at back at my track record and think, wow, I'm getting quicker, I'm getting faster. That's how exercise is. It's exactly (laughs) the same with the word of God. If you need help reading the word of God, there are some brilliant resources that can help you. There really are like Bible in a year, all those kind of things, different stuff on on the website, different community leaders will be able to help you with that kind of stuff. But fundamentally, it's not about the resources that actually help you. It's actually getting into the Word. And the most significant way you can do that is read it with other people. See, I, I kind of took up running again not so long ago. And running on my own... I'm okay with that. And and looking at online tips of how to run faster, thinking that if I do that, I will suddenly get faster. The amount of YouTube videos I've watched, thinking right now that'll work. (laughs) Turns out you don't get any faster by reading about how to run faster. Who knew? Turns out you don't get much faster by just asking tips from other people. Like Chris Smythe, he is so fast at running. Chris, how'd you get so fast at running? Does not help me run any quicker. I run the quickest when I go running with other people. Like My PB comes down and down again, not, not any time I do it by myself, but every time I rock up to park, run on a Saturday morning and chase my eight-year-old around the field, then my PB gets quicker. That's exactly the same with the Word of God. Read it with other people who will help you. Let's be a people devoted to the Word of God. And to read it with other people, we need to be a people devoted to the fellowship. Now, we're going to look at this next week in, in more detail But They were so dedicated to one another. They recognized they just couldn't do this Christian thing by themselves, and neither can you. We need one another. We need to be in community. We also need to be devoted to God's presence. Look at verse 42 where it says, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, without getting sidetracked into this too much, the Lord's table looked at it a few weeks ago. The Lord's Table was this special time in which Jesus promised to be present in a very special way. Now, he's always present in worship, of course, but he was present, according to Scripture, at the Lord's Table in a a particular way during that time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, that we're participating in the presence of Christ when we celebrate it, and they devoted themselves to that. Now, I don't think that means that we, we should take communion every single week we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it should be, mean that we are devoted to the presence of God in a particular way because they believed that the Spirit of God was on them and with them, each of them. And later on, we read, when ye, they came together, each one had... A gift from the Holy Spirit to use each one brought something to each of their gatherings, ready to to use it to the glory of God and for the good of other people, so they came to church gatherings, whether it 's small in their houses or larger in their temples, they came expecting to be in god's presence and expecting to be used by god there's a lesson there for us when we come, whether it 's in our smaller communities with five six seven eight, nine ten. 15 of us, or whether we gather in larger settings with several hundred of us like this, there is an expectation that I'm going to both encounter the presence of God and there's the possibility and the potential that I'm going to be used to help other people come into the presence of God, that the gifts he's given me. Now, some people come to our church and they think it's all prearranged and they think everybody who's here is kind of like, has got their running order, got their little ticket like at Sainsbury's and kind of like you take your little ticket and now it's your turn, I'm, on, I'm number three, so I better get there quickly and if you're a number seven, you've got to count well or else you're going to get lost your place and not get in. No. That's not what's going on. People devoted to the presence of God throughout the week, devoted to the word, seeking God. When they gather together, something happens and there's a sense of actually God's speaking and we prophesy in part. Each of the people who contributed this morning, we didn't prearrange it. We didn't say, hey, this is what we're speaking on. It'd be great if you could just bring this and say something like that. Each person came with a sense of, I feel God's speaking. And then came and participated, and there's something that happens. God begins to speak. We need to be a church expecting this. And a great place to start is in communities where you are in that smaller setting. There's way less pressure because you're doing it in front of a few people who know you. Do it in front of a few hundred people, and it can be that sense of, oh, my goodness. I just want to, just one thing, very quickly on this. I wasn't intending to talk about this, but I just felt God prompted here. You know that moment when you see somebody step up and take the microphone for the first time and they stand to the side or there, or if they're super bold, they come and stand up here? What's running through your head when you see somebody contribute for the first time? Because I just want to hazard a guess that it's not, I hope they fail. Like if it is, we've got some issues that we need to talk through, right? But you're probably not thinking, boo, sit down. You're sitting there thinking, I really hope that's oh awesome! You're listening. You're on the front foot. That's what that's what we're doing. Every time someone new contributes for the first time, no one is going fail. Move. You know, we're all thinking, oh, I'm for, go! I'm for you. This is great. Go for it." If you're thinking that about them, what are they going to be thinking about you when you bring something for the first time? We can have so much fear built up. Oh, is that kind of what's everyone going to think? They're thinking what you think when they come up. What's going to be said? I'm there, I'm ready to respond. I just want to encourage us. We need to come expectant. God speaks through and can use every single one of us. Each of us has gifts. And then you see here they were devoted to the prayers. They seem to feel intimately their dependence on God. They prayed all the time. Someone gets in trouble, pray. Someone has a need, they pray. Someone's scared, they pray. They need boldness collectively or individually, they pray. Jesus had left them in a state of total dependence. He gave them the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations. And then he tells them to do absolutely nothing until he sends the Holy Spirit except pray. Pray, pray, pray. So they pray for 10 days. Then Peter stands up to preach. Read all about it a little bit further back in Acts 2. He preaches for about 10 minutes and 3,000 people were saved. Pray for 10 days, preach for 10 minutes, 3,000 people were saved. We pray for 10, for, for, for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and about three people get saved. But, in fact, I should probably sit down. But it, that's not, it's not a formula or a number. It's that sense of actually the, the groundwork is laid in prayer. The proclamation then is the moment where we speak the truth and then God moves sovereignly. And the 3,000 is so significant. Exodus, I was just reading this this week. Exodus 32, verse 8. Moses is, They're at Mount Sinai, and the people break the law of God and 3,000 people die. Now the Holy Spirit comes, Acts 1, and 3,000 people, Acts 2, come to new life in Christ. How? Why? It's because Jesus has died for our breaking of the law. He absorbed the fire of God's wrath so that we could get the fire of new life. Because of Jesus now, we're no longer under, under penalty. We're no longer those who have been restricted from the presence of God. We're no longer those who are stuck. We are now those who are alive in Christ. And this, brothers and sisters, is our motivation. This is our motivation for giving ourselves to the word of God. This is our motivation for giving ourselves to one another. This is our motivation for praying constantly and without ceasing. Not so we can tick some box, not so we can get manufacture some stuff, but our motivation it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their response of being devoted was all because of what Jesus had done for them. My motivation for giving myself to the word, for praying, for giving myself to the fellowship of the believers, for giving myself to church, my motivation for any of those things comes from this, that my God is immense beyond imagination that my God measured the entire universe with merely the span of his hand, that he is unimaginably awesome in all of his perfections. He is absolutely righteous and holy and just in all of his ways, that he has been so unbelievably good and so unbelievably merciful to me as the creator and sustainer of my life, that every breath, that every heartbeat, that every function of every organ in my body is a gift from him that every legitimate pleasure that I have ever experienced is a gift, a loving gift from him to me that all that I am and all that I have I owe to him and I owe to his goodness. My life in every way is and will continue to be utterly dependent on Upon him in whom I live and move and have my being. This wonderful God is most supremely the object of my admiration, the object of my honor and delight in all of the universe. And he has created me with the sole intention that I might glorify him by finding my soul's delight in him. Yet, I could not have failed this God more miserably than I have. Instead of giving thanks to him and humbly submitting my life to him, I've rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt myself above him. Thinking of myself to be wise, I've actually shown myself to be foolish. And because of my arrogance, God has every right to damn me to eternal wrath. He has every right to do that. Apart from Christ, I have no hope and nothing in this world. And yet, What I could not do, God has done and God did do. And in doing it, he did it all, sending his son to die on the cross for my sins, therefore showing me unfathomable love. God loved me so much that he was willing to suffer the loss of his son. And even more amazingly, he was willing to allow his son to suffer the loss of him at the cross. Jesus loved me so much he was willing to lay down his life for me. No one could love me more or better than Jesus. And on the third day after Jesus' death, God raised him from the dead, thereby announcing that his death was completely sufficient to atone for every sin that I will or ever will commit in my lifetime. God then exalted Christ to his right hand, where Christ now reigns from on high, giving salvation and forgiveness to all who call on him by faith. And so now, the moment my time came, when I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus was Lord he instantly granted me a great salvation he forgave me of all my sin past present and future he made me his child he's adopted me into his family he gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit which means the same power that conquered the grave now lives in me the Holy Spirit now pours out God's love into my heart to tell me tenderly and beautifully and stunningly that I am now a child of God I am an heir to an eternal glory in heaven, and in saving me, God has freed me from every sin, He has freed me from every shame, He has broken every shackle of condemnation, He has declared over me that now I am righteous, I am forgiven, I am free. He has justified me, He is sanctifying me, He is changing me, He is holding for me an eternal glory that which I cannot even begin to imagine or perceive. And His grace abounds to me in every moment of every single day in good moments in bad moments and in every trial and every mundane moment in between and because I am a justified son he even subjugates every trial to do good unto me so even when I don't feel it it is doing good things unto me even when I don't see it he is bringing good things unto me I do not deserve any of this I could not earn any of this but this is my salvation and herein I stand Thank you, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, even on our best days, we don't deserve it. And on our worst days, we cannot lose it. Wow. That's the motivation to devote ourselves. Not so that we might impress God who is not impressed with anything we do, but because of his son, because of Jesus Christ, he is delighted in everything we do. Get the difference. He's not impressed because I daily devote myself to the word. He's delighted when I come into his presence. He's not impressed because I remember to pray. He's delighted that I come and speak to him. He's not impressed when I behave really well. He's delighted that I obey him. He's not impressed when I don't, but he is delighted to forgive me. That, brothers and sisters, that's our motivation to give ourselves to the glory of God. Devote ourselves to the word. Devote ourselves to prayer. Devote ourselves to fellowship. Devote ourselves to one another. And don't you just long for the next bit. Day by day, God added to their number. Lord Jesus, would you add to our number? Would you add to our number? Everything you've spoken about today, we say yes and amen. Would you add to our number, Lord, in this place? Our heart's desire, God, is that we would know you more and more. We'd be a devoted people that many wouldn't see and many would respond to the glory of God. Oh, Lord, thank you for the work you've done in this place over many years. Thank you for every life you've touched, every life you've transformed. We're so thankful, we're so grateful, and yet we say it's not enough, Lord. It's not enough. We yearn for more. We hunger for more. We're desperate for more of your presence. We're desperate for more of your power. We're desperate for more salvation. We're desperate for more freedom. We're desperate for more breakthrough. We're desperate that the name of Jesus might be glorified in the nations of the world. And you would choose people like us to partner with you. (laughs) I wouldn't choose me, but you did. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, may we be a devoted people to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, guys. Thank you. This week, eat the book. Get it in you. You can't do it. You find it difficult, you struggle, get with other people. Literally, get with other people. Read this to me. Help me read it. I'm not very good at reading. Okay, well, I will read one verse at a time. I'll read it for you, repeat it after me. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Because of the gospel, none of us needs to impress anybody else. None of us has got anything to be embarrassed by. I'm not very good at it. Well, well, let me help you. You're further on me, let me help you. Let's give ourselves, let's be a devoted people to the word, to the prayers, to the fellowship. Stick around at the end of this meeting. That's part of being devoted to the fellowship. Go and speak to somebody else. Go and introduce yourself. Go and have that moment of bravery. Some of us are extroverts, we love it, go. Don't be too overbearing to the introverts who are not. Let's love one another. Let's give ourselves the word of God.